Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the News Data Weekly Wrap-Up brought to you by myself, Dan Catchpole, reporter with Clearing Up, and Jason Fordney, editor at uh, California Energy Markets. Jason, how are you doing? Hey, Dan. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Have you had a chance to watch the Olympics, the topic right now that everyone loves to talk about? I haven't seen any yet, but... um... I noticed some of the freestyle skiing with the cooling towers in the background and the sort of neo-industrial look to things. So that's a little different. Yeah, not what you think of uh, when you head out to the mountains, but what you do think of this, I should say, when you head out to the snow-covered mountains, incidentally, those aren't there, but the cooling towers are. Uh, This is the third Olympics in in a row that have depended entirely on artificial snow, uh, which can the IOC at this point, just make a rule that you got to have real snow. It's um, the conditions for skiers aren't as good as I understand it. Uh, They're icier. Hmm. You you hear the skis clattering and just makes it a lot harder, not what they're used to racing on. And uh, it just looks weird when you've got that ribbon of snow surrounded by dirt and rocks around it just looks weird and doesn't look nice. Um, and, yeah. and then on top of that, we've found out that it's also terrible for the environment because in part, how much well water and energy bring it back full circle to what we're talking about here today. Yeah. Sorry to hear that about the snow conditions. It doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least they're not melting like they were at Sochi. Uh, if they have awarded it in the next one, uh, 2026 to the same place that the 1956 Olympics were held in Italy. So, um, unless climate change really goes into high gear, we'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll have real snow. That'd um, be fantastic. But to me, the backdrop is a big part of the, the ambiance of the whole thing. You know? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, so we're here today to make everybody a little better informed about what's going on in the world of energy on uh, the West Coast and in the Northwest. Uh, And for more information, you can go to newsdata.com where we have our two newsletters clearing up and California energy markets and find out more uh, and become a, uh, you know, deeply informed, uh, you know, become deeply informed about the uh, state of the industry, what, where it's been, where it's going, in the Northwest and California and beyond. Uh, so Jason, you've, you guys had the big story of the week. So why don't you mm-hmm. kick us off? Yeah, the big story in California is uh, California ISO, independent system operators. First time uh, release of a 20 year transmission plan. This is focused on uh, integrating large amounts of renewables, uh, mostly that have been called for through legisl- legislation in the state. Uh, the ISO said a long-term plan is necessary because of the extended lead times now being experienced on a lot of these new uh, transmission projects and also the integration of renewable energy, zero carbon resources, many of those coming from SB100, which is California's landmark renewable energy legislation. Uh, CAISO developed a plan in conjunction with the California Public Utilities Commission and the California Energy Commission. 
the draft plan, it is a draft, they're taking comments on it, uh, I think through the 24th, uh, outlines $30.5 billion in new transmission. And uh, Kaisa is saying this will provide a valuable input for resource planning efforts, uh, both at the CPUC and the Energy Commission. And we'll also provide more information and context for Kaiso's normal 10-year transmission plan. <clears throat> Excuse me. The plan focuses on high-voltage transmission. Uh, local transmission requirements will also need to be developed. Kaiso is projecting there will be 120 gigawatts of new resources on the grid by 2040. Most of these renewables, solar, wind, and geothermal. You can find the plan either linked through our story on the website or on the Kaiso website. It's got some really uh, nifty maps and a lot of information. Kaiso also uh, recently issued its 2021-2022 transmission plan. So a lot happening on the transmission front, a lot more attention being paid to this, uh, mainly for renewables. And you've also seen this at the federal level with more attention from FERC on the issue, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. So uh, that was our lead story this week. Uh, next up uh, is another CPUC story. It has to do with the Kincaid fire. Um, the CPUC, uh, according to some experts, used a, quote, disturbing, unquote, new process that allowed for backroom deals between officials and investor-owned utility representatives. This proceeding was to decide penalties for Pacific Gas and Electric for starting the 2019 Kincaid fire. Uh, the PUC approved a $40 million penalty against PG&E for the utility's role in sparking the fire. Uh, but the CPC used a new process, which is called an administrative consent order. They did this rather than a more formal order instituting investigation uh, to decide the penalty. So this uh, drew a pushback from the utility reform network. Uh, he said the ACO, which is the administrative consent order. That process allows backroom deals between regulators and utilities to be rubber stamped. That's a quote from Turn Legal Director Tom Long. That was, uh, he sent us that to David Krauss, our staff reporter, in an email. He said, uh, Tom Long said, an order on investigation would be a transparent process that would allow a meaningful opportunity for participation by interested parties such as Turn, who could help prevent such bad deals. So uh, some intrigue around that with the Kincaid fire. Um, and yeah, the wildfire liability issue not going away anytime soon and really getting uh, quite ugly in some facets of it, unfortunately. Also in this week's CEM, in my bottom lines column, I covered one of the most hotly debated topics in the modern energy conversation, and that's whether nuclear power should play a role in the clean energy transition or be banished forever. There's a growing chorus of, chorus of voices urging a reversal of the decision to close down Diablo Canyon, which is a 2,200 megawatt nuclear power plant. Uh, last week, 79 leading scientists, entrepreneurs, and academics wrote Governor Gavin Newsom, urging him to keep Diablo Canyon operating. Among them is Stephen Chu, who is the U.S. Secretary of Energy under President Barack Obama. Failing to preserve Diablo Canyon will make achieving California's climate goals more difficult and costly, according to the experts. Proponents of keeping the 36-year-old plant online 
were bolstered by a November report from Stanford University and Massachusetts Institute of Technology that found that extending Diablo Canyon's life 10 years beyond its planned retirement date of 2025 could decrease California's reliance on natural gas-fired generation by about 10.2 terawatt hours per year, which uh, a lot of the capacity is going to be made up apparently by natural gas. And finally, from CEM, our, our Western Price Report detail from Linda Daly Paulson detailed how Southern California gas company natural gas storage is reaching a peak and will need to be reduced throughout February. In a January 28th Envoy posting, SoCal Gas said inventory at Aliso Canyon is expected to be above 70% of the maximum allowable inventory. Uh, if inventory is above 70% of the maximum allowed inventory, it can it can continue to be used until inventory declines to 70% of the allowed maximum. Western peak power prices generally saw a sharp increase of between $19.50 and as much as $42 at Palo Verde, which ended at $80 per megawatt hour on February 3rd. Mid-Columbia proved the exception with a drop of $3.45 to $55.40 per megawatt hour. That's from our Western Price Report by Linda Daly Paulson. Now I'll turn it back over to Dan for some Northwest news updates. I always wanted to be part of a backroom deal. It sounds very lucrative <laughs> or uh, smoke-filled rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe Nobody's ever asked day. me to be part of that, unfortunately. Yeah. But well, probably good for my uh, conscience. But, yeah, and I guess, you know, they're not really smoke-filled rooms anymore, are they? <laughs> Maybe vaping-filled rooms? I don't, yeah. All right. Well, uh, in the Northwest, let's see. Our big story this week, uh, well, our big story this week was Kaiso, which uh, that obviously has a major impact uh, across the North or across the West. Um, and yeah. uh, So beyond that, our major story this week, uh, I PSE, Puget Sound Energy wants to raise electric and natural gas rates uh, for residential customers and other customers by double digits in 20, starting in 2023. The utility says the higher rates are necessary to cover the costs uh, in, uh, for decarbonization, which Washington, the state of Washington man mandated the accelerated transition to clean energy in 2019. That's the uh, Clean Energy Transformation Act. And PSE filed the application with the Washington Utilities and Transportation Committee last week. Its application lays out its projections for cost of new resources, infrastructure upgrades, and other capital expenditures that need to be made. Puget uh, Sound Energy's portfolio right now includes a much higher percentage of carbon-fired resources than any other utility in Washington, and it's the state's biggest utility, so it's got a lot uh, further to go to close, you know, to uh, transition to clean energy. The natural gas rates increase are gonna also go to decarbonization with some infrastructure upgrades. And also they want to get renewable natural gas to be eight to 10% of their supply in the, the next few years. You can read more about Puget Sound Energy's argument for rate increases in my story and this week's issue of clearing up. 
and look out for more coverage on this uh, coming from me in the weeks ahead as I dig into the literally hundreds of documents filed with uh, the Washington regulators in their in a PSE's application. Speaking of the UTC in Washington, uh, today, Commissioner Jay Balabas announced that he is stepping down March 14th. That's about nine months ahead of when his term was scheduled to end at the uh, end of the year. He's going to go become an independent consultant in the years. He spent five years on the WUTC, which has included uh, work on rulemaking for the Clean Energy Transition Transformation Act. I, I'll have to go look that up. I, I apologize. It's slipping my mind, which, it, which of the two it is. Uh, COVID-19 and other major issues that have come up. Uh, he was appointed by Inslee five years ago. You can look for more coverage in this week's upcoming issue of Clearing Up. And for other stories, we've got uh, more than 60 scientists on four vessels right now are heading into the Pacific Ocean to learn more about how extreme climate variability is affecting Pacific salmon. The 2022 Pan-Pacific Winter High Seas Expedition is a collaboration between five countries as part of a five-year initiative that aims to ensure salmon's resilience throughout the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, the countries include Canada, Japan, South Korea, Russia, and the United States. Researchers recently looked at the past 150 years of sea surface temperatures in the Pacific and found that the world's, oh, I'm sorry, not just the Pacific, and found that the world's oceans are already experiencing extreme variabilities in temperature. This though will be the first survey in the North Pacific in decades, and you can learn more about it in the story reported by my colleague, Casey Mahaffey at newsdata.com. Let's see, after starting out with a bang, this uh, last month's precipitation in the Columbia Basin ended abruptly in mid-January, leaving forecasters to lower expectation for the region's water supply. They filled, uh, uh, filled in reporters at a monthly briefing on February 3rd, in which they said the Snake Base River Basin is one of the biggest losers. Um, and that, let's see, the predicted volume at American Falls Dam fell by 26 percentage points to 72% of normal. Water supply at the Lower Granite Dam dropped by 16 percentage points to 89% of normal. It looks better further down at Dorshak Dam, which only dropped eight percentage points to 96% of normal. Uh, needless to say, you know, there's been such issues with drought in recent years. There was a lot of hope. We we're looking a lot better going into the year ahead. And this puts a little bit of a damper on that, uh, but hopefully things will improve. Yeah. Yeah, needless to say. Uh, and then in other stories, let's see, uh, Seattle City Light released an electrification assessment. Uh, the short of it is basically, it's gonna be a huge lift to electrify the city of Seattle, which has really been leading that charge with policy setting uh, by the city government. And we got a few other headlines here. Uh, Idaho National Lab and UAMPS wrapped up the Idaho Small Modular Reactor Site Study for a 462 megawatt plant. That uh, story comes via my colleague, Rick Adair. 
And uh, perennial power may finally kill the 415 million peaker plant that was planned for Oregon. That's the natural gas-fired wind chaser peaking plant in Umatilla County, Oregon. Uh, perennial power holdings is not feeling so hot about that investment anymore. And you can learn more about that story also from Rick Adair at newsdata.com, uh, where you can find clearing up CEM and more information to help you keep you plugged in to what's happening across the West Coast and beyond. Uh, Jason, any last thoughts? Otherwise, we'll let everybody go and we'll get on with our day. Uh, not really. I was. You know, your, your snow summary there uh, hits home. I live here in the Sierra Nevada. We, we're off to such a strong start with the water year. And then, of course, the big storms in January and then just nothing. Uh, it's 70 degrees here in NorCal today. So, yeah, hoping for a miracle March and we definitely need more snow. Miracle March. We'll have to store that one away for any hopeful, <laughs> hopefully for headlines to come. So stay tuned. All right. Well, uh, for news data, clearing up and CEM, I'm Dan Catchpole and joined by Jason Fordney. And uh, thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. 